Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, I am uh, so proud of you for braving the rain. Here in Southern California, when there's rain, it's like uh, a foot of snow in the East Coast, right? Like it's pretty much, oh, it's raining. I don't know. So uh, I'm glad you're here and, and came out. Uh, looking forward to a great time together. Uh, if you are brand new, a special welcome. We're just praying that God would bring us people who are hungry to really grow in relationship with him and, and really have their lives changed. And so if you're here today, we're thankful for that. Hope you enjoy your time with us inside your, the, the program you received when you came in all the announcements of things going on. Uh, also, there is a, a message note sheet we use every week for our time of teaching. So I encourage you to take that out to help you follow along. But if you're all set, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we're just, we're excited about what you're doing here in our life. You're, you're changing us. You're transforming us. You're waking us up. You're, you're showing us our purpose in life and you're calling us to, to a higher, uh, just a higher ground as a church. And every week, I, we sense you on the move and we're excited to be a part, to be here. And so today, would you speak again? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you be our leader? Would you be our teacher? Would you be the one who opens our eyes, calls us on, shows us what we were created to be and, and release your passion for, for you and for life uh, in our lives today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're continuing on the series that we've been in the last couple months. For those of you who are brand new, it's a series called Behind the Music, which is actually a study of some of the Psalms. And the Psalms are one of the most popular books in all the Bible. But if you've never studied it before, you may not know this, that the Psalms were actually originally meant to be sung. The Psalms are actually songs. In fact, uh, the, Greek, the, the word Psalm comes from the Greek word psalmos, which means song. And so what we're doing in this series, we're going behind the music of these songs to learn some life lessons about how it means to walk well with God and enter into a relationship with him that's real, that's personal, that's powerful, that's life-changing from some of the great spiritual leaders of Israel over, that were written over a thousand-year period of time. And so today the, the, the topic is passion, what I'm calling true passion. And what we're going to discover today is that you and I were created to live lives of passion. We're not created to live boring, mundane lives, that, that God has designed us to live lives of passion, and that of all our passions, our deepest passion in life is our passion for God himself. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to start off by looking at four examples of passion in the Psalms, and then we're going to kind of call from that the one big picture purpose that kind of, kind of directs our study today, directs our lives, and then we're going to come back and ask three practical questions at the end to see how we're doing in this area. So there on your note sheet, you have a section called True Passion. Did you hear that? It is raining out there. Uh, true passion. Uh, and after here, I'm, I'm leaving on my motorcycle to ride for Juliet. So I'm very excited about that. So um, perfect timing, I'm telling you. Uh, Anyway, true passion, what it looks like. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, we're gonna jump in. We're gonna look at these uh, four examples from, uh, from the Psalms. And, and so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm uh, 18, first of all. Uh, the, we're gonna start off with two Psalms that we actually talked about two weeks ago. We talked about worship, but these Psalms today, we're gonna look at them through the lens of passion. And so Psalm 18, uh, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you probably remember this. This Psalm 18 was written at a time in David's life when he was really on top of the world. Uh, uh, it's kind of written after 10 or 15 years of his life of running for his life from King Saul, who was out to kill him and some other enemies. And now God has rescued him. In fact, all along the way, God has rescued him time and time again. And through that, he's entered into a very deep and personal experience with God. God has become his God, the one who leads him, guides him, protects him, provides for him. And, and so uh, now we're at the end of that time. He's looking back on that era of his life and he's writing this Psalm about who God has become to him him through these firsthand experiences. And so in Psalm 18, if you start with the title, it says, for the director of music, so it's a song, it's a, it's a song of David, he's a servant of the Lord, and again, when we see the Lord in all caps, it means what? Yeah, Yahweh, servant of Yahweh. Um, and the words of the song, he, he sang to, to Yahweh the words of the song when Yahweh delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of his soul. So he wrote this song uh, at, a, at a high point in his life. At about, so, so life has mountaintops, life has valleys. We're gonna look at both today. 
This song is written uh, during a mountaintop uh, of his life. And so he starts off with his statement of great passion and he just says, I love you, O Yahweh, O Lord, my strength. And so one of the things I love about David is that he's a man of passion, passion in battle, passion in love, passion in his love of life, uh, but he's passionate about his relationship with God. And so he's just right out there, God, you've captured my heart. I love you, O Lord, my strength. And then he says, Yahweh is my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to Yahweh who is worthy of praise and I'm saved from my enemies. And so he's looking back over this 10 or 15 years. Here's who I've experienced God to be. And because of who I've experienced, this, this passionate love for God has developed in my life. And so if you were to read on in this psalm, he's gonna go on to kind of talk in very poetic, metaphorical language about how there's times in his life when he thought he was going down for the last time, but God, because of his amazing love for David, reached down and pulled him out of that because of his passionate love. And as a result, David has this love for God. And so this is what you see in the Psalms over and over again. This relationship that God calls us to, it's not religious, it's not ritual, it's not mundane. It's a passionate love where God becomes our first love. He becomes our uh, deep passion, he becomes our highest priority. And you see it over and over again. Now, let's jump on to the next one. The next one is Psalm 27. Uh, <laughs> Psalm 27, uh, so very similar psalm. And so, so David says, the Lord Yahweh, Yahweh is my light and my salvation. He's the one who lights up the darkness for me. He's the one that shows me the path to life. He's the one who rescues me. In fact, he says, Yahweh is my light and my salvation. And whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the stronghold or the fortress of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So once again, this psalm is being written out of his personal experience of God's intervention and leadership in his life. And if you jump down to verse four, he says, therefore one thing I will ask of Yahweh. This is my top priority in my life. This is the one thing I'm going to ask God for more than anything else. You remember Billy Crystal in City Slickers. What's the one thing? So here we go. Here's the answer. One thing I ask of Yahweh and this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh and to seek him in his temple. And so David says because of who I've experienced God to be, there's one thing I want more than anything else in my life to enter into a relationship that's real, that's personal, that's experiential, and, and I want to meet with him and experience his presence in my life and his leadership in my life, okay? So that's Psalm 27. Let's jump on now to Psalm 42. And again, all I'm doing is giving you a taste of kind of the passion that you see for God in the Psalms. Now, Psalm 42 is a little bit different. Psalm 42 is not written by David. It's written by a group named the Sons of Korah, which were a top rock band at the time. And uh, actually, uh, Aaron was the high priest of Israel, right? He's got three sons. One of those sons names Korah. And so one of the priestly lines are the Sons of Korah. These are descendants. So these are priests. And, and they're writing this song, and it's describing a very different time in a man's life. The, the first two Psalms were written at a time where David was at the mountaintop, right, the, uh, on top of the mountain. This Psalm is written when, when, the, when the person is going through a valley, a time when God seems far away. And he's gonna use this beautiful of analogy of a deer that's thirsting after water. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, you know this, that Israel looks like Escondido. Um, very disappointing. Uh, <laughs> Uh, when I, first time I went to Israel, we, you know, we lived in Vista down in Santa County. I was like, this is like Escondido, you know? I could have gone 15 miles. Um, but but uh, Israel is basically a semi-arid uh, desert. It's much like Southern California. We forget that here, that we live in, a, in like a semi-desert. The only reason it grows is because we irrigate, right? And, and so Israel is much like that. It's a dry land. And so this is a picture of a deer. He's going to use a picture of a deer that's, that's really thirsty and looking for water. 
Now, if you've ever been out backpacking or hiking or something, and you've gone a long time with water, you know how intense the thirst can become. And you're just driven, you really become kind of uh, focused in the one thing you need in your life is water, right? And so he's picturing this deer that's kind of wandering through the wasteland, looking for a wadi, a stream, a, a puddle, anything that he can drink. And he's just panting. The tongue's coming out of the deer's mouth. He's panting. And he's going to compare that. And he says, you know, the way that deer feels right Right now, that's the way I feel in my life. I'm just so thirsty for God. I'm just like panting after God. And so he says, as the deer, well, notice it says, for the director of music, so it's a song, it's a mascal, which was a type of musical song. It's a mascal, the sons of Korah. And so as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, oh God. I'm just so thirsty. He said, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go? Uh, uh, when can I go and meet with God? God. And so as you go on in this psalm, you find out that this is a priest. He's experienced God in the temple before, but he's, he's not there now. He feels far from God, and God seems distant, and he's just so thirsty. But, but again, it's a picture of passion. So we've seen passion during the good times. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Here we see passion during the hard times. God, I'm so thirsty. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? You're just, your career is just in, in your, your job's in trouble. Maybe your marriage's in trouble. Your kids are in trouble. Your spiritual life is on the rocks. And you, you just find yourself so thirsty for God. I just got to get to God. And that's a picture of this psalm. And then the last psalm is Psalm 63. And Psalm 63 is much like uh, Psalm 42. This one is written by David. Uses very similar language about thirsting after God. And so in Psalm 63, you'll notice at the top that it's the Psalm of David. It's when he was in the desert of Judah. So using that metaphor of thirst, uh, he's probably on the run from King Saul, though we don't know for sure. But he says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I what? Okay, earnestly, I what? Okay, I'm seeking after you. My soul, What? It thirsts for you. Uh, my body longs for you. I'm in a dry and weary land spiritually where there is no water. Uh, I've seen you in the sanctuary. So remember back in Psalm 27, he said, one thing I desire of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, be in his presence. He said, I've experienced that in the past. So here's what he says. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. I've experienced you. I'm not experiencing you right now, but I have seen it in the past. And then he says, this is because your love is better than what? Now, okay, no, don't miss that. David says for him, He's a man of passion. He's a, he's a military genius. He is a, a leader of men and of a nation. Uh, there's many passions in his life, but he says, for me, God, your love and what I experience of you, our relationship, it's more important to me than life itself. And that's what I'm talking about, this kind of passion. And then he says, my, and because of that, my lips will glorify you. And notice that out of that experience of who you are, I, I want to praise you. My worship's gonna flow. And then he says, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will what? I will lift up my hands. And so we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that the more we experience God, that, that, that we are captured by him, often our body wants to get in on the act. We want to begin to express that love. And so one of the ways is we lift up our hands, we go to our knees, whatever. We are expressing this passion for God. And so all I want you to catch by these four psalms is these are just kind of a, a taste of psalms. What you, what you see is that the Psalms are all about uh, uh, passion and particularly about this passion for God. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna lay out one big picture principle to kind of guide our time together, that flood of Psalms. And then secondly, I wanna ask three specific questions to see how we're doing in this area. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called the pursuit of passion, the call of a Christ follower. And what I wanna do is keep, kind of give you the principle and then we'll, we'll jump in. So here we go. So here's the principle, is, is that what you see in the Psalms is that we are created for passion. That, that you and I were created to live lives of passion. We were not created to live lives of boredom. What, what, one thing that you know about uh, the next life is that it will not be boring. Can, can you imagine that? 
It will never be boring. And that sound good. It's like, I hate being bored in my life. And, and, and you probably do too. And so the life that you are created to live it is not a mundane life. It is created uh, uh, for a life of passion. In other words, you were designed to run on passion uh, the same way like a car is designed to run on gasoline, unless it's a hybrid or something like that, but, but you're, you're you are designed to run on passion. And you see this in the Bible because one of the first things you'll notice about the God of the Bible is the God of the Bible is a God of passion, isn't he? Uh, he, he's a warrior that's raging into battle. He is a lover who is jealous over his bride. He's a father that has deep compassion for his children. Wherever you go, the God of the Bible is not a passive God. He's a God of deep passion, right? And we were created what? In his what? In his image. So, so you were created to be like him. And when a man or woman comes to Jesus, catch this, the whole point is he is gonna restore your passions. He is gonna give you back your life. Like, like the Christ follower should be the most passionate people in the world because Jesus is restoring our passions to, to what we were created to be. And so you see this in the Psalms. The Psalms are full of passion. The Psalms are full of singing and dancing and feasting and celebrating and, and just getting excited about creation. They're full of weddings and coronations and friendships and deep love and battle cries. Uh, the, the Psalms are full of ups and downs. They're full of passion, but catch this, of all the passions, of all the passions, the deepest passion, the passion that's designed to rule all of our passions is our passion for God, okay? So we were created for passion. Now, uh, uh, so what you see in the Psalms is just illustrated. You see David kind of being a model of this life of passion. You see him saying, I love you, oh Lord, oh Yahweh, my strength. I mean, he's just, he's just man's man, this warrior, but he's just, man, I'm just I'm all over this. I am pursuing you. Kind of there's one thing in my life I seek. This is what I'm after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, gaze upon your beauty. Uh, your love, God, is better than life itself. I'm like a deer panting after after water, that uh, my deepest thirst is for you. And so this is who I am, right? So he's, he's kind of giving us a model of passion. Now, of course, this is what you see in the Bible. You see this, that we were created all the way through the Bible for a life of passion. Uh, let me give you an example. There's a great passage in the New Testament that we've often become so familiar with that we miss the obvious. And it's in Matthew 22, and I put it there on your note sheet. So let me set it up. The scene is Jesus is teaching. A religious, a religious leader comes up to him and he asks him, Jesus, of all the laws in the Old Testament, and there were 613 of them, which law is most important? In other words, what, what's God's top concern, his top priority for our life? We take all the 613, which one is, is priority number one? Like if David Letterman had a 613, top 613, what would be number one? Okay, and so, so Jesus says, this is what Jesus says, it's passion. God's number one concern for you is you live a life of passion. It's a passion for God above all other passions. Now, now we often miss this because we become so familiar. But this is what he says, there in your note sheet, he says, here it is, love the Lord your God with what? Good, love the Lord your God, let's, let's say it again, with all your heart. Okay, so, so what does it mean to love something or someone with all your heart? Right, right, we're gonna come back to that, we're gonna come back to that. Uh, uh, and all your what? So in all your might. And in another place, he says, in all your strength, right? So he says, this is God's number one concern. You would be flat out passionate for him, that he would be the North Star of all your passions, that you would live your life, that your number one goal is to know him, to love him, and to please him. He would be your first love. He would be your deepest passion. He would be your top priority. That's what I want of you. Now, there's the weird thing. The weird thing is often in our life, we become so familiar with a verse like this that when we get there, we do this religious jujitsu, right? 
And so somehow we read with love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. Yeah, yeah, we put it on a plaque. And, and so we thought, well, what does that mean? Well, that means like go to church. <laughs> like what? Uh, it means like, okay, stop swearing. Huh? Uh, be good, do good thing. Like what? That has nothing to do with passion, right? It's a totally different vision. Jesus said nothing about do this, do that. He said, be full out, love God. Like, like have him be your top passion in life. Be taken with him. Be like David. I love you, oh Lord, my strength. That's what he said. Now, now let's just run this through. Let's just play a little game here. Let's say that a young man, that you, you have a friend of, some of, you, some of you guys are single, right? Or you know someone who's single. You are what single? Uh, so so you, you know so, and this guy who's single, right? And he's dated a bunch of girls. And so you, he's dating a new girl and you ask him, how's it going? And you say, oh man, I don't know, man. I, I, I think I'm a goner. Like, what do you mean? Well, this girl, she's unlike any girl I've ever met. She's just, she's just like, takes my breath away. And you're like, oh, come on, man, you're coming on a little strong. No, no, seriously, I love her with all my heart. Oh, man, when you hear those words, you know he's a goner, right? <laughs> this, guy, this guy's a goner. It's just time. It's just time and distance. He, down and distance, man. He's just like, he's a goner. He's gone, right? And if you know another woman who's interested in him, you're like, oh, don't even waste your time. This guy's a goner. It's like he loves her with all his heart. Like he's been captured. And so when a man says he loves a woman with all his heart, we know exactly what's going on, right? We, we get, it's, it's about passion. We, we get that, right? Uh, let, let's take a mom. Let's say that you're, you're talking, that you meet a mom and, and you're talking with her and she says, I love my kids with all my heart. Like we get that, right? Like we know that means she drives them everywhere, right? <laughs> It means, that, it means that she gives up. It means she, she'll wear older clothes so they can have the cool sneakers, right? The cool, the cool thing. That, that she will do whatever it takes. She will, she'll be like a mother bear around them. Like if anyone's attacking her kids unfairly, uh, if it's fairly, moms, you should let them get it. But uh, if, if it's unfairly, uh, if it's unfairly that she's gonna be all over them, right? That she loves her kids. And, and the moment, we, we know exactly what that means. It means she's passionate about her kids, right? Okay, let's say, let's say there's a guy and the guy says he loves football with all his heart. <laughs> now, we know what this is about, right? We, we conjures up, he's a Raider fan, right? Like, like poor, poor choice, poor choice, but... Hey, if you're a brother in Christ and you're a Raider fan, you know, there's just still hope. Jesus is still work. And someday you'll, you'll kind of grow out of that, you know, but God bless you. We're glad you're here. It doesn't matter where you come from. We love you at Rocky Peak. Uh, but, okay, so, so, okay so, so this guy says, I love, man, I love the Raiders with all my heart. Like we know exactly what's going on, right? He's gonna dress up kind of weird. He's got the black and silver thing on his face. He's got a fantasy football league. He even knows the offensive linemen. He knows that Carson Palmer's their new quarterback because their old quarterback just got hurt, hurt his shoulder for the whole season. He knows why the, why, why the Raiders have stunk for about 10 years, you know? He knows all the reasons. He knows why they're getting better now. He knows about the Hugh Jackson. He knows about this, he knows about that. He He's got it all down, right? He follows him in the paper. He's got maybe doing some fantasy football stuff that when a man says he, you love football, although I mean, he knows that right now, I don't know, they're probably losing to Minnesota. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> he's got it set in his DVR because hopefully he loves Jesus more than the Raiders. But uh, like when a man says he loves football with all my heart, we know what he means, right? And here's the weirdest thing. We come to Jesus and he says, here's what it's about. You know, love God with all your heart. We, we get weird on this. And we think it means things like, oh, go to church, be nice, uh, uh, give a little money, serve a little. You see, you see what happens? That's not what it's about. He says, what, what Jesus is saying is what God cares about in your life more than anything out, that you are full on passionate about him. And David is a model of that. 
I love you, oh Lord, my strength. You've captured my heart. One thing I'll seek. You're, you're the top priority in my life. You're my first love, deepest passion, highest priority. You've captured, are, are you with me in this? This is what it means to be a, a Christ follower. Okay, th- this is what, what and, and catch this, this is the path to life. Like th- this is the path to our fulfillment. So, so here we go. Uh, there on your, on your note sheet, you have a section that's called the, how's your passion? And what I wanna do in the time that we have left is I I just wanna walk you through this and and I wanna do some kind of investigation in your life. Just kind of have you think through how how does this fit for your life? And so we have three questions there. And so number one is the most obvious one. And I I just really challenge you to be extremely honest right now. And and this is not gonna be necessarily easy to do because you know if you're honest, it could change your life forever. And I realize that that some of you just, you know, it's like not really, really signed up for today, but I'm gonna ask you to be extremely honest, all right? I'm gonna help you do that. I'm gonna walk you through how to do this, but I, I want you to be extremely honest. And here's the question, uh, what's your deepest passion? But like if you had to nail it down today, what is your first love? What's your deepest passion? What's your top priority in life? And it's not always easy to figure this out. Sometimes it takes a while to nail this down. But what but we've learned today that we were created to run on passion, that our deepest passion in life is to be Christ himself, is to be kind of pursuing God, and, and that this is our path to life. And so the question is, what's your greatest passion? And here's what I wanna throw out to you today. Here's what I want you to catch. Is that for the Christ follower, the norm, the norm is that our greatest passion is Christ himself, knowing God, pleasing God, lo- loving him. That's the norm. And, and here's the thing. In our country today, our level of spirituality as Christ followers has fallen so low that we often miss this. It's fallen so low that when we see someone who's truly passionate about Jesus, and catch this, I said passionate, not weird. <laughs> you got, there's a difference. There's some people out there who are weird and they say they're passionate. No, you're just weird, okay? So I'm not talking about guys on TV with big hair and talk funny, you know, in the name of Jesus. You know, I'm not, not talking about weird. Are, are you with me? Not talking about weird. I'm talking about passionate. Okay, so, so, so here's the thing. The, the reality is that as a culture, often in Christian circles, our level of passion for God has gone to such a, uh, an all-time low that when you see someone who's truly passionate for God, who, who's a person who loves God's word, who prays over their life, who wants to see other people come to Christ, that uses their money to advance kingdom causes, that really cares more than anything else that their kids grow up and love Jesus more than anything else. That's their, the driving force of their parenting. Someone that, that really, as they go through their life, the number one question is, God, what do you want me to do and how can I please you? That when we come across a person like that, we think it's unusual. And we look at a person like that and go, whoa, there's like super spiritual. No, they are normal. They are normal. Like when Jesus was talking about, here's God's number one concern in your life, he didn't say, well, if you wanna be a super Christian, here's what you do. And then if you just wanna be average, here's what you do. He said, this is it, this is it. How's your passion? Do you love God with all your heart? That's, that's what he said, that, that's what God cares about, number one. In fact, in the book of Revelation, in Revelation three, when Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea, he says, I, I know your works. I know you're, you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. And so, so you've read the passage, how does Jesus feel about that? Like you say, good job, at least you're not too low, right? No, he says, well, he says, I will what? I will spit you out of my mouth. Literally in the Greek, I will vomit you out. You see, when Jesus came, he said, if anyone loves his father or mother, his children, his wife or her husband, brother or sister more than me, that he is not worthy of me. You see, passion, first love, that's the norm. That's the norm. And so the question is for you as you're sitting here, if you have the courage to ask, and I hope you do, that that question for you is what is your driving passion of your life? What do you care about more than anything else? 
And I want to give you some choices because the reality is, is that often in our life, even as Christ followers, we drift on this, don't we? That we know this, but we kind of uh, drift. And so what, what happens is we begin to run after something else in life that kind of captures our heart, captures our affection. And what we truly believe is if we pursue this passion, that we will be happy. That's what we believe. And so we begin to give ourselves to these other passions. But here's the thing, we're all different. In this room, there's a lot of different passions represented. And so what's, what's, what's the passion for one person to be different than passion for others? So let me give you some options, okay? I'm gonna give you what I call the seven Ps of passion, right? So seven different types of things that we can tend to run after. And so you can just jot them down. And all I'm trying to do is help you identify what in your life is your greatest passion. And so here we go. Number one, the first P stands for people. And but what, it, what I mean by this is that for some of us, our deepest passion in life is for our person or for our dream of a person right, like, like romance, like, like there's some of us that, that, that in this room that maybe you're single, if I could just find the right person, that, that then life would be awesome and we could spend the rest of our days together and then, so that becomes the driving passion of your life is finding that person because you deeply believe that'll make you happy. For others of you, it's I wanna get married, I wanna have children. And so for some of you, uh, that your children, that that is like, that, that's the driving passion of your life. For others, it's friends, uh, but some kind of a, a person, some kind of relationship, right? A second P, a second P is popularity. And I, again, I'm just giving you some options to help you assess. But for some people, they're driven by being popular, being in the in crowd, being famous, uh, being well-liked, uh, rising to the top of the social food chain, having a million friends on Facebook, whatever. Uh, number three, uh, number three is possessions. Some people, the way they're wired is they truly believe that possessions are the path to happiness. And so it can be big things like a house or a car or, or the cabin or the yacht. It can be smaller things. It can be getting the latest iPad, iPhone, uh, i whatever. Uh, that, that, this is what, you know, for some of you, it's, it's shopping, it's clothes, it's shoes. Like your highest passion in life is shoes. And so, you know, like we could go on and on, but for different, it's the toys, it's the motorcycles, it's the thing, whatever the thing is that, hey, if I could just get this stuff. And so we go through our life just kind of chasing after possessions or money or stuff, right? Uh, uh, next P, the, the next P uh, is the P of pleasure. For some people, maybe you've been there, it's, it's the, that this is what your passion is. It's living for the weekend. It's, it's the next person you're going to sleep with. It's a drug experience, or maybe it's really different. It's, it's travel, it's the good life, it's fine wine, it's nice dinners, but it, it comes in, there's just, if I get all the life pleasures. Uh, for next person, uh, the, the P is um, a power. For some people, driven by power. Uh, Adolf Hitler is gonna conquer the world. You may not be Adolf, but it may be that you're the Adolf of your family. And it may be that just being in control of your family or control of your business or in the place of power where no one can tell you what to do, that is what drives you. For others, it's a position. It's, it's like, if I can rise in the company, if I can get that promotion, if I can become vice president, if I can get that corner office, uh, if I can be the quarterback on the football team, the prom queen, uh, if I can get that degree, if I can be called, uh, get the, these initials before my name or after my name, but something of position. For others, it's a pursuit. For, for others, it's, in that, it's, it's about a pursuit. It can even be a noble pursuit. I want to rid the world of malaria. I want to bring as many water wells to the poor. It can be even a very noble thing, right? Or it can be some pursuit of others, some kind of accomplishment. All I'm doing is laying out for you the kinds of things that we run after. And here's what I want you to catch. As a human race, the way we're wired is that we are wired to run after any other passion than God himself to, to kind of satisfy the deepest uh, need for passion in our life. It's just the way that we're naturally wired. And so we tend to run after other things, but what these all have in common, they're very different, but what they all have in common is that we're looking for something, catch this, we're looking for something in creation to satisfy the need for the creator. 
And that's what idolatry is all about. Idolatry is pursuing something in creation to fill the need that can only be met by the creator. And you know, the sad thing about this is that we are so slow to learn. Like the woman who believes that finding the right romance will, will be her path to life and give us, you know, what make life worth living. It's like she doesn't learn after the three guys that it worked. And she doesn't learn. She just keeps looking for the right person. If I can just find the right person. The person who thinks it's possessions, we, we don't like go through possessions and just say, you know what? These things, I know I get them and they're really cool, but then it wears off. And then it's not enough. I need something more. We, we don't realize that. We just like, okay, what's the next thing? And so whatever it is, we, we're just very slow to learn. But the bottom line is that we are created for the creator. And until we get to that place where we're like, David, I love you, O Lord, my strength. This was what I'll seek. This one thing is what I'll seek. This is what I'm after, my top priority, to be in your presence and to experience you. Until we get to that place, we will always go empty. Right? These things were never designed to be our ruling passion. They're good things, but they're never designed to be our ruling passion. Uh, there's a pastor named Erwin McManus and, and he's written some books and he's a pastor here in LA. But several years ago when I was down at my previous church, we had him down to do like a staff retreat for us one time. And, and he said this that day, there on your note sheet. He says, the Bible says that everything about you can be explained by your passions. It's why adult men will wear football shirts, hats, paint our faces, will do all kinds of weird things. It's because, catch this, we were created for passion. And so we'll place that passion in the oddest places. And that's why we'll be passionate for money, passionate for success, passionate for prestige, passionate for all kinds of odd things, because you are created to be passionate. You see, we're all in search of this thing that will make life worth living, that we can be passionate about, because when we're not passionate, there's something missing in our life. He says, but until you place that passion properly in the heart of God, you will have irrationally displaced passions. In other words, you'll pursue passions that can never satisfy the deepest need of your heart for the true passion, okay? So, so that's the question, is that what is your deepest passion? And, and, and do you have the courage to kind of face that today and kind of deal with that? Now, the second question the second question, uh, if you're here today and you say, Mike, uh, honestly, I really do feel like Jesus is my top passion. It's not that I never get off track. It's not that I'm never uh, kind of uh, distracted or whatever, but truly, my, my, I, I want to know him. I want to love him. I want to please him. That's the driving passion of my life. I'd say, awesome, you're right on track and just hold out during point number two. We'll get to you in point number three, all right? But point number two is for those of us here who feel like, you know, he's not really our top passion. And so we, it goes like this. If Christ is not your top passion, the question for you is, are you willing to change? Are you willing, and notice what I'm asking. I said, are you willing to change? It'd even be better to say, are you willing to be changed? Because what I want you to catch in this point is that you cannot create passion for God in your life. Like if you're here today, you say, yes, I recognize I'm passionate about this or this, but not really God. What I'm saying, you can't create passion for God. Only God can create passion for God, but you have to be willing. You have to be willing. And this is what we see in the Bible. That uh, uh, in fact, in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that when Messiah came, that he would do something that the law could never do in the Old Testament. The law could tell us this is what we're supposed to be, but it could never create that in us. Right? And, and so there, there was prophesied a time would come when Jesus would come and that he would not only forgive us for all our sins, but, but he would change us from the inside out and he would reorient and reorder our passions. And this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that, that at the core level from the inside out, that God reorders and renews our true passions. And so there on your note sheet, for example, is a, a passage from Ezekiel 36. And it goes like this. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your what? Idols. idols. And so idols is anything in life that we place our ultimate value, our top passion. And I'll, I'll, so I'll cleanse you from your idols and I will give you a new what? Now catch that. 
What he's saying is I will give you a new passion. I will change your passion. This is the way your passions run. I will give you a new heart. I will give you new passions and I will put a new spirit in you and I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. In other words, instead of a hard heart towards me, a soft heart. And I will put my spirit in you and catch this and I will what? I'll say it again. I will what? I will move you, Okay. So in other words, from the inside out, I will change you. I will move you. I'll put my passions in you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. And so this is what we see happen when Jesus comes. When Jesus dies, he dies so we can enter into a relationship with God where where Christ comes into our life. We're forgiven for all crimes against the king. But what also happens is the Holy Spirit comes in our life and he begins to change us from the inside out. He begins to create new passions. And you've been there. Like when you came to Christ, there were certain things you suddenly cared about you didn't care about before. And there were certain things you used to care about you no longer cared about or had a whole different opinion on. It was supernatural, right? God begins to change you. And so this process is designed to go on through our whole life as we become more and more like Jesus. The, the process of growth is the process of passion change. That God can renews and changes our heart and, and our passions. A man who hasn't loved his wife now begins to love his wife. A man that's his priorities are all screwed up, his priorities are going to get right. A woman who's had bitterness and revenge in her heart, he begins to change her passions for love and for. This is what happens when a man or woman comes to Jesus. He begins to reorient our passions, okay? And so that's what we're designed to get our passions reoriented. But sometimes along the way, we say no to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes along the way, we stop following the leading of the Spirit. And when that happens, we get sidetracked and we begin to get consumed by other passions. And so here's the question I have for you. If that's you today, if you've had the courage to say, yes, Mike, that's me. My passion is my job. It's my sports team. It's my video games. It's this woman in my life. It's my kids. It's not really Jesus. It's not really uh, pleasing him. There's other things that have taken me. The question is, do you have the courage to change? And are you willing to change? And catch this, I'm not asking, are you willing to change yourself? I'm asking, are you willing to to be changed. Because we just saw this, God is the one who moves us, right? God is the one who doesn't do it. You can't change yourself. I've tried this in my life. I don't know if you've ever tried this. You're, you're in a message like this and you begin to get a vision for a new life and you begin to, okay, I'm, I'm gonna do this. You know, I'm, I'm gonna read the Bible, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna do whatever. You cannot change yourself. Only God can change you. But here's what you need to do. You need to give God permission to change your heart. That's what you need to do. You, you, need to, you don't even have to want to be changed. Like you don't even have to like, yes, God, I'm passionate. I wish I were like, no. Like you can come to God and say, God, honestly, this person is my top passion. Honestly, buying stuff is my top passion. Honestly, this kind of sex life is my top passion. If I'm really honest, that's what's most important to me. And I don't even have the power to change that because I think these things are the coolest things and they've captured my heart. But God, if you're able to change me, I give you permission. You catch that? And that is all God needs. He needs your permission to change your heart. And then what happens, here's what happens. Once you give God permission, you need to watch for this because very likely, if you do this today, if you give God permission today, very likely sometime within the next two weeks, it could happen immediately, it could be a week from now, but my guess is in the next two weeks, God is gonna come to you and he's gonna put his finger on what your top passion is and he's gonna ask you to do something. He's not gonna ask you to change your heart, you can't do that, but there's gonna be a step that he asks you to take, a step of obedience. Like, Like it may be that you need to go back to that person that you've hated for so long, and you need to ask them to forgive you. That may be your step. He may ask you to reorient your schedule. He may say, the reason you've lost your passion is you used to spend time with me, and you haven't, and you've gotten off track, and, and you need to start setting aside regular time, and that's what I need you to do. 
He may ask you to start spending your money differently or making your money differently or giving your money differently or investing differently. That you, you remember in the, the Bible, the rich young ruler who comes and, and he says, I want eternal life. And Jesus said, okay, you need to go sell all that you had because that was his God. And, and so that young man couldn't change his heart, but he could obey. He could take the step, but he wasn't willing, you see? And so often when we come to God and we say, I give you permission, you watch, God will come and he'll put a finger on what it is in your life that he'll ask you to surrender. He's not asking you to change your heart. He's asking you to obey in that one area. Are you with me in this? And when, he do, and when you do, God changes your heart. What, when you do. And so the question is, uh, are, are, do you want that to happen? Can I tell you something? Your level of passion for God is pretty much the level that you want it to be. Are you with me on this? No, it's like if you're sitting here and, and you're not passionate about the things of God, it's because you don't want it to be that way. What, what's happened is something else has captured your heart and you're good with that. You're, you're okay with that. And so if you want it to change, it's very simple. You just go to God and say, God, I want it to change because I truly believe that if I run after these other passions, I will not truly be happy and I'll never be happy until this one thing I seek, it's you, and so, and so if you can change my heart, change it, okay? And so there in your note sheet, there's a quote from Larry Crabb in his book, Finding God, and this is spot on. He says, we cannot generate true passion for God by an act of the will. You can't force it, you can't make it happen. He says, no formulas will produce the passion we're after. Seasons of fasting, regular time in the word, Disciplined resistance to temptation, generous giving, exuberant worship. These are all good things, but they are not enough to fill us with passion for Christ. You follow what he's saying? You can do all those things. God, I want to be, I'm going to do all these things, and that won't do it. I've tried this. I don't know if you've been there. I've tried every one of these things, and none of them worked. They work maybe in the short run, a week, but none of them work. The only thing that can change your heart and give you passion is God himself. And so then he goes on, he says, true passion for our Lord is a work of the Holy Spirit. And he says, not many of us know that powerful work of God's spirit because even though God draws us, he's calling to us in this loving relationship with him, we need to what? Cooperate. And so you go to God and you ask him to change your heart, you give him permission and then you get ready to cooperate. And I want you to catch this, because many times we think, I can't be a person of passion because I can't sustain it. What I want, what I want you to catch, it's not about you being strong enough. It's about you coming to the realization that you're weak enough. Do you, are you with me here? It's your weakness that's the door to passion. It's not your strength, it is your weakness. And when you come to a place, you realize you can't be what you're designed to be. You can't change yourself. When you come to that place, and then you're ready to ask God, can you do what I can't do? Now you're in the perfect place. Now you're in the place where in your weakness comes his strength, and you can be transformed, and you can become, you can become what you're created to be, a person of passion for the right things. Now, number three, the third question is such an important question. It goes like this, what impacts your passion? As a Christ follower, we need to learn to start paying attention to what impacts our passion for Christ. So we've learned today that, that we're created for passion, that our deepest passion in life is to be for God, that this is our path to fulfillment. We've, we've learned all that. But, but the, 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 the thing is, is that we need to come to a place where we learn to pay attention what increases my passion for Christ and what decreases my passion for, for Christ. Like there in Proverbs, in Proverbs 4, it says, above all else, guard your what? Guard your heart. Why? Because it's, from it becomes the wellspring of life. Your whole life flows out of your passions. Your passions are the most thing, important, important thing about you. Your passions are gonna determine your destiny, right? And so, so what he's saying is, as a Christ follower, we need to pay attention what increases our passion, what decreases our passion. Now, obviously, the biggest thing that decreases our passion is disobedience. When we know that God doesn't want us to do it, and we, and we, we do it anyway, that nothing will 
derail your passion faster than disobedience. But, but that's not what this point is really about. I wanna sweep that aside. You know that, we got that, that's the obvious thing. That's the no-brainer of spiritual life. Okay, disobedience destroys passion, we get that. This point is really focusing on something else. You see, there are a lot of things in life, in your life and my life, that God has not commanded, and yet for you are a key to your passion. There's a lot of things that God has not forbidden, but for you are the key to your passion. You see? And this is very, indiv- it's very individual. Like, this is where we need the leading of the Holy Spirit in, in our life. There's, there's gonna be certain things, like, like let me give you some examples from my life, just three or four quick examples. Uh, there was a time in my life when my kids were entering into middle school where I really felt the Holy Spirit was putting in my life that, that, that Mike, during this, this season of your life, while your kids are under your roof and they're in your house and they're in these formative years, I don't want you to drink alcohol or have alcohol in your house. Now, now, I don't think there's anything wrong with drinking alcohol. I've drank alcohol before. I've drank alcohol since, okay? So it's not about that. But, but the Holy Spirit was just saying, for this season of your life, this is what I'm calling for your family. Now catch this. Is that a rule for all believers? No. Would I ever put that on you in your life? Never, right? Because we're called to freedom in Christ in these areas. But for my life, it was an important step to take. Uh, let me give you another example. Uh, many years ago, probably 25 years ago, I like to read spy novels. A- and there was a particular author that I read a lot of, and it came to a point, it's extremely violent, right? And, 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 this, and this, uh, it came to a certain point in my life where I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, no more for this author. This, this author is off the table. I've not read one of his books since that time. This author is off the table. Now, would I tell you you could never read that? No, it wasn't an instruction for you. But for me, the Holy Spirit was saying, this is not for you, right? Let me give you another example. Um, uh, I went through a period of time, I've always been a big sports fan. You know, read the sports page every day, know my team, whatever, I'm one of those nutty guys. So, uh, and, and so uh, but I went through a period of my life where for about 10 years, God called me to put aside sports. Don't read the sports page, don't follow your teams, no TV, we're not doing sports anymore. I didn't know at the beginning how long it would last, it ended up lasting uh, 10 years. And can I tell you something, it wasn't even that hard because God was giving me a greater passion for something else. He wanted me to use my time on some other stuff, right? And so for about 10 years, now would I tell you, hey, if you wanna be serious about Jesus, don't do sports? No, I wouldn't tell you that. What I'm telling you is that for that season of my life, I've got something different for you. Let's take it on the positive side. I'm not big into fasting, all right? Like I've got this deal with God. I will never fast unless you tell me. So, but, but there are times, this deal goes back to when I was about 19, okay? So, so it's a longstanding agreement that we have. But uh, there have been many times over the years when God has called me to a long or extended fast. I mean, a pretty, you know, really long fast, bread and water fast. And, and can I tell you something? They have been critical in my spiritual development. That every time God has called me specifically to a long fast, about two weeks after it, something breaks loose in the spiritual realm that changes my life from that point on, right? They've been extremely important for my spiritual life. They've been life and death type issues. Now, would I tell you that, okay, so that you need to fast like this or that? No, no, I'd never say that. But for me, the Holy Spirit said, this is your path to passion. Are you with me in this? So catch this, we need to get beyond asking the question, is this right or is this wrong? And we need to move to the place to say, will this increase my passion for Jesus or will it decrease my passion? How is what I'm doing impacting, if passion is your key to life, if passion is, is the ticket that's gonna unlock the door to your life and your destiny, it's important we learn to ask the question, what's impacting our passions? And so there on your note sheet, we have a great quote from a guy named Matt Chandler who's a pastor down in Texas and he leads a church called the Village Church. And he says in this quote, he says, sanctification, which is kind of a fancy theological word for the change process we go through becoming like Christ, to sanctification here at the village, that's his church. It begins by answering two questions. What stirs your affection for Jesus Christ? And what robs you of those affections? Many of the things that stifle growth are morally neutral. They are not bad things. Facebook is not bad. 
Just to see if I have any dissenters. Um, <laughs> you heard it here first. Facebook is not bad. Television and movies are not bad. I enjoy TV, but it doesn't take long for me to begin to find humorous on TV what the Lord finds heartbreaking. Have you been there? The same goes for following sports. It's not wrong, but if I start watching sports, I begin to care too much. I get stupid. If, a if 19 year old boys are ruining your day because of what they do with the ball, that's a problem. <laughs> he says, these things rob my affections for Christ and I wanna fill my life with things that stir my affections for him. We want our people to think beyond what's right and wrong. We want them to fill their lives with things that stir their affections for Jesus Christ and as best they can to walk away from things that rob those affections even when they're not immoral. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to move beyond the question, is it right and is it wrong? We need to move to the question, Holy Spirit, will you help me to understand what are those things that are fueling my passion? What are the things that are robbing my passion? Are, are you with me? Following this? Let's pray. God, we're just so thankful for what you're doing in our lives and for this incredible teaching from the Psalms that this model of what it looks like to, to really love you. This, this man's man, David, this warrior man, I love you, oh Lord, my strength. Just kind of running hard. One thing I'll ask of the Lord, this is what I'll seek. Uh, your love is better than life. I thirst for you like a deer panting after streams of water, God. And we thank for, for what we've learned today, that this is not unusual, this is the norm for us as Christ followers. And so God, we confess today that many times we've run after other gods. There are other passions that have captured our heart, that you've not been our first love, you've not been our deepest passion, you've not been our highest priority. And so today we come as a church, God, and we bow down before you. And we say, God, that we really want to run after you like this. And we want you to change our hearts. And so we give you permission right here and right now to come in and change our heart. And we pray that you'd give us grace in the next couple of weeks as you put your finger on that area of our life that has become our top passion. And you ask us to take a step of obedience, of cooperation. That God, that we would, we would take that. And as we would take that, you would fill us with a passion for the things that truly matter. And that your, this passion for you would become the animating passion that rules all other passions in our life for all the other great gifts you've given us. We pray that as Christ followers, we would be the most passionate people around. And people in love with you, in love with others, in love with life itself. Because our true passion has been restored and our passions have become our destiny. And so God, we pray you'd meet us now in worship. As we enter into worship, as we ask you to light a fire in our life. A fire that burns for you. We pray that you would hear our prayer. And as we bring you our offerings now, we pray that you receive them from our hearts, a heart of love and affection for you is a, a token of our passion. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. God, that's a prayer of our heart today that with everything within us, we wanna shout forth your praise. And the very best way to do that is to be captured by your heart and so our lives are living as passionate followers. There's nothing else that screams out your praise and the life of a man or woman who's been captured by you, it's truly living for you. And what, a, what, a, what a, an act of worship that is. Every day is an act of worship that we've been captured, we're living for you. And so God, we pray for these valleys that you've entrusted our care. God, we pray that the message of Jesus would go out into these valleys that we serve and that hundreds and thousands of people would come to Christ because at this time, in this place, you've called us together to be a church of true worshipers who've been captured by your heart. And there we live out this life and we share this message of a God that is the ultimate value in life, that's the ultimate one who's captured our hearts and wants to capture their hearts. And so God, we pray for this church. We pray that you'd pour out your spirit upon us, that we would have a new passion, a deeper love for you, for people, and that you would use us to extend this movement that you're doing here in these valleys, that you would draw people to you. And we pray this in your name, amen, amen. 
Well, I hope you can be with us next week as we actually wrap up this series of Behind the Music. Uh, if you've ever read the Psalms, you know that one of the, the major themes in Psalms is Thanksgiving, and this is Thanksgiving week. And so next week, we're going to talk about uh, Thanksgiving and giving thanks and the role that that plays in kind of opening up the presence of God and experiencing God in our lives. And so it's going to be a great time. I hope you can be with us. And then the following week, uh, we're kicking off a new series for Christmas. It's a four-week series. It's called The Invasion. And we want to give you just a, a, a sneak peek so you can just kind of remain standing. We're just going to show you the, the visuals on that. So you will, uh, you'll definitely want to be here. You know, as followers of Jesus, you know, most of us know the basic story of Christmas, right? We, 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 got the, we got it down, the unexpected pregnancy, the reluctant husband, the long trip to the small town. and We, we got all that, but often we, we, we miss the, kind of where this chapter fits in, the larger story that God is telling uh, uh, of the human race. And so as a church, we want to walk through that and kind of see the story of God's redemption for our lives and his plan for us through the door of Christmas. And so it's going to be a great series for us, but it's all, this series is also designed for non-believers. And so maybe you have someone in your life that you've been praying for, trying to get them to come to church, and maybe they haven't been willing in the past, but now it's Christmas. And so a series on Christmas may be something that they're open to. And so uh, I want to, to promise you, we'll be sharing the message of Jesus and the gospel every week during this series. It's, it's really designed for us, but it's designed for the non-believer too. And to make that possible easier for you, we've actually printed these cards. You've seen one in your program today, perhaps. It's called The Invasion. It's, got, it's just an inv invite card. And so you're able to give it to someone. It's got our service times on it. If you need more of them, we've got plenty of them out at the point afterwards. You can get uh, more of those to hand those out to people that you're inviting. But we just want to really, as a church, be focused increasingly on re reaching out and reaching those who don't know Christ. And it's kind of, a, kind of an increasing thing God's putting on our heart as a leadership team. And so uh, we're, we're gonna be doing that this Christmas season. Uh, and so uh, just encourage you to reach out in that way as God leads you, as he puts it on your heart. Now, until then, may the Lord be with you. May he be your rock and may he be your fortress. May he be your strong tower that you run to in time of trouble. May he be, he, you, be your light and your salvation. May he capture your heart so that there's one thing you desire and one thing you seek above all else, that you may dwell in the house of the Lord and behold his glory. May he capture your affections so that you would truly say that his love is better than life and that you pant for him as a deer that is thirsting for water. May he capture your heart, be your first love, your deepest passion, and your highest priority. And so the world can see that there is a God worth worshiping and capturing their hearts as well. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless. Have a fantastic Thanksgiving. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For lead pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.